0: Appamada's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much. Um,
1: okay, so this is... the the meeting in which we were focusing on the chapter from Diane Rizzetto uh, on the vow of supporting life and not killing. And it is the most difficult of all the chapters for me uh, and the the most, um, the one closest to practice edge for me uh, that I that I uh, have engaged with. Uh, and I'm sorry, just before I launch into that, I wanna say a couple of thank yous. I wanna say thank you to Nelly, uh, who has been a monitor uh, in the past and others who have taken on this role, uh, kind of nerve wracking at times. Uh, and Nancy, who is our monitor for today. Uh, thank you so much for what you do to, to bring us together. So important. And I also want to say, That uh, Robin Bradford, one of the Zen mentors at Appamada in Austin, is going to come in in about a half an hour. She's she's finishing up with another engagement. She's going to join us in about a half an hour, and she's got some. She's basically has some thoughts that she wants to share and some guided meditation that she wants to share. And um, I want to um, offer to. uh, I'm going to offer some thoughts of my own personal reflections. And then, Denise, welcome, and Jan, great to have you. Jay, welcome. Lisa, also. Um, I'll offer some personal reflections. We will then uh, just sit quietly, and I'll monitor the screen, and and I'll ring a bell when uh, Robin has joined us, and then she will uh, end our sitting meditation. What I wanted to say was, here's this after uh, supporting life and and not killing, and then of course in the traditional state in the traditional statement of the precepts, it is I will not kill, and it is the first, it is the very first of the precepts. And um, as usual, Diane Rosetto has expanded it in a in a broader, more modern, more psychological sense that requires us to really examine our motives. Um, to me. One line that she wrote really hit home. It's like, if we are to know the mind of not killing, we must first crack open our opinions and prejudices and chance the unknown. So what is the mind of not killing? Uh, As I said, for me, it's a big practice edge. And I'll say why? It's because I'm not a vegetarian. Uh, Some years ago, I asked Flint about this and he told me a story about William Penn one of the founders of the state of what is now the state of Pennsylvania, who was a Quaker. And the Quakers are committed to nonviolence. But it was the fashion of the day simply because the, you know, they were they came from England, they came from big cities in England and throughout Europe, gentlemen wore swords because it was actually a dangerous thing. A lot of the names in my head, but the Poet Laureate of England around that time traveled with armed guards at all times because the streets of London were so dangerous. So there were lots of people who wore swords for self-defense purposes, and there was lots of dueling and all that kind of stuff going on. William Penn, a Quaker, wore a, wore a sword because it was simply a kind of a social requirement for men of his class. And he spoke to his father at one point, a spiritual elder for the Quaker community, and he said, I, you know, I'm still wearing a sword. I feel strange about it. And his father said, do it as long as you can stand it. You know, keep it up as long as you can stand to do it. That was years ago. And I've managed to continue the path that I'm on uh, with this life uh, where I eat meat um, and uh, I think about it. And I try and make changes, but still I have not made the full change that I think is required by my understanding of, of what I'm called to do morally on this. So I want to say, I have that practice edge. And um, there's, there are other ways, as Diane Rosetto points out, be, besides not actively involved in being, killing, you know, and killing other people, actively involved in killing animals, actively involved in warfare, uh, so on. But we are all implicated in social structures, as she points out, the destruction of natural systems, the, you know, through pollution, through the demands on the resources of the earth that we are all implicated in, that have a a kind of a violent outcome, even if that's not our intention. Um, You know, every time I get in the car, I'm burning fossil fuels that's harming the planet. And, you know, there are some who have moved away from that, and that's a you know, it's a powerful thing to do and a powerful step to healing the earth and to bringing justice and compassion into the into our world. To be able to do that, but I am a householder and I have not made those choices. So, um, for me, it's more psychological. It means being aware of my connections to other beings. I'm thinking of the homeless woman who begs on the street corner uh, near my house that I drive by several times a week. That's an easy example for compassion as feeling, you know, as a as a concept that I can feel. She's human, I'm human, I, I, I pass close to her. What do I do in such meetings? Well, if she is in obvious distress, I'll give her some money. You know, if it's really hot or really cold. Other times I I think of what Diane Rosetto offered in the chapters about meeting others on equal ground and, and the chapter on taking what is only freely given and giving freely of all I can, that there are ways in which you can make the situation worse for someone by handing over a dollar. And and I, I don't know what else to do. I, I will say that I Uh, support charities aimed at ending homelessness with some money and some of my time uh, here in Albuquerque, but I know that that's not enough. Rosetto writes, if we are to know the mind of not killing, we must first crack open our opinions and prejudices and chance the unknown. I would say, as I often do in, in prefacing these precepts, that it's more than just opinions and prejudices. It's actually part of the life force that resides in the most primal, quickest acting parts of our brains. And it's it's that force that is pushing us to not die, to never die, to never take the risk of dying. Amoebas move toward food and away from other microscopic organisms that threaten them. Amoeba-eating microbes try to get away from bigger threats. Throughout the world, prey animals and predators struggle for their own survival, coming up with strategies to keep them alive. For much of human history, hominids, our ancestors, were prey animals as well as predators. Uh, Until over the last 15,000 years or so, humans have killed off hundreds of species of animals that used to threaten our ancestors and many others. And it is not just like in the stone age when people were fighting saber saber tooth tigers, which is recorded in cave paintings from long ago. Uh, Think of the lions that used to live in France until about 1500 and are now gone. Think of the passenger pigeons that were once so numerous that it was said that when they were flying, they would darken the skies in North America, and they were hunted to extinction before 1900. This is part of our inheritance as human beings. Our our brain stems think of each of us as immortal, or they they lead us within us to think of ourselves as immortal, that we can escape sickness, old, old age, and death, even in the face of overwhelming evidence everywhere around us all the time. The brainstem holds this view, and it blinds us to connection and compassion. It just wants to focus on survival. In fact, my brainstem, at least, is convinced that I have the right to kill anything that threatens me, from a virus to a mosquito to a snake, and even on up to someone theoretically breaking into my house to harm me. The Buddha knew this impulse, knew that this impulse lives in human hearts, and he made it his mission to open human hearts to compassion and to connect humans beyond these primal urges in, in a path through the Eighth bull Path to being open to connection with others. He saw that old age, sickness, and death are actually inevitable. And so, having seen that, what did he teach? He taught that we need to pay attention, not just to our primal urges, which are not gonna go away, but to integrate those urges with the evidence of the world around us. In one of the earliest teachings that he gave on compassion, he urged a seeker to consider what was the most dear thing to him. And he, the, the person, uh, a, a nearby king said it was his daughter. Um, and um, he said, actually, you know, it's yourself. I mean, you would sacrifice everything to preserve yourself. Um, And then he said, You know, when you go out hunting, did the animals you hunt want to die? And the the king said, No. He said, Well, just consider that they are like you, you know, and open your heart and compassion to them. Um, Just consider everything that wants to live is like you. And even more than that, that what he taught was radical. He taught that the self that we wish to preserve and that our body and mind in these primal parts tell us that we must absolutely do everything we can to preserve, that that self is an illusion. Instead, he said, everything is not only temporary and will pass away without a trace beyond the karma that we leave behind, the residue of the actions that we leave behind, but as physical entities, we will disappear pretty much without a trace. And not only that, but that everything is so inextricably connected so much that the boundary between us and whatever we want to eat or whatever we don't want to kill us, that boundary is an illusion. And we have to live without illusion, he said. So Diane Rizzotto writes, On many fronts today, we face difficult questions about supporting life, suicide, euthanasia, abortion, cloning, capital punishment, just to name a few. She goes on, focusing on the rest of her chapter, she says, suicide, euthanasia, and abortion are three that many of us might face. Different religions have different beliefs and attitudes about these issues. But from the perspective of how we are viewing the precepts here, what is more important than passing judgment is our willingness to be open and present to the situation. To take up the way of supporting life is uh, places us directly in the present tense, right now, the, the freedom that we have to act in any given moment. It is when we take action from within that moment with openness and connection that we keep this precept, Even if just for a moment we can do this, we have supported life. And by living in the moment, we will find the only way to understand what supporting life means. The precept places the responsibility directly with us, the individual. How easy it is for us to blame them, the enemy, the government. All of the precepts come together here in the directive. Don't kill, support life. How do we block out or kill others' points of view? How do we find ways to take natural resources that aren't ours to take? How do we lie and lash out in anger? How do we do it in our relationships, on the job, at a peace rally even, or on the battlefield? What we do as individuals will find a way into our leadership. Stopping war begins with ourselves and all the other ways of killing that she mentions and, and not supporting life that we have the potential to reinforce also can end with the choices that we ourselves are so far make. Even though we're embedded in these social conditions which militate against us. And even though we live in these bodies, which again are like a, a rushing river that we have to swim against, I have a poem that is helpful to me to know that I'm gonna share on screen here, problem here. So this is a poem by David White, which again, just, just points to this dilemma that we all face. It's called, No Path, and it begins with a quotation from the medieval Chinese writer, Han Shan. There is no path that goes all the way. Not that it stops us looking for the full continuation, The one line in the poem we can start and follow straight to the end. The fixed belief we can hold facing a stranger that saves us the trouble of a real conversation. But one day you are not just imagining an empty chair where your loved one sat. You are not just telling a story where the bridge is down and there's nowhere to cross. You are not just praying to God, to a God you imagined would keep you safe. No, you've come to the place where there's nothing you've done, where nothing you've done will impress and nothing you can promise will avert. The silent confrontation, the place where your body already seems to know the way, having kept to the last its own secret reconnaissance. But still, there is no path that goes all the way. One conversation leads to another, one breath to the next, until there is no breath at all, just the inevitable final release of the burden. And then wouldn't you wouldn't your life have to start all over again for you to know even a little of who you had been? So I'll, I'm sure this poem is familiar to many. Um, David White is a, a ancestral teacher for Apamata, and um, uh, at any rate, I will post, uh, I'll post post us on the, the listserv for our group uh, in hopes that you'll enjoy it and be good. Uh, I see that Robin Bradford has joined us a little earlier. So I'm gonna stop screen sharing here and I wanna ask Robin a question or two and then we'll decide how to proceed. Robin, hi, can you hear me?
2: Yes, hi everyone. There.
1: Good. So we were going to sit for about 10 minutes mm-hmm. uh, and, um, and then uh, we figured that you were going to join us around then and you would, you would be in the lead at that point. Is that okay with you? Perfect. Okay. So So everyone, please remember that at this very moment, you are the embodiment of the entire universe or among the uncountable embodiments of the entire universe you can celebrate that by sitting quietly and paying attention to what's going on with you in your unbelievably powerfully unique life in this body at this time right now. So please sit up straight, square your shoulders. Uh, you don't this is not to gain anything, not to prove anything, not to achieve anything, but, just to be who you are right now celebrating your connection with everything and your your very own uniqueness
2: Mm, it's good to be together with everyone. Can you hear and see me okay? Okay. Um, my apologies for being late. I have a commitment on um, occasional Sunday mornings, and um, I was able to get a little bit to eat afterwards, so that was good. So today we're working with, meeting with, picking up the precept. I vow to take up the way of supporting all life. And of course, um, I think we at APOMADO really appreciate the wording that, um, I'm gonna go get my book, Diane Rosetto uses in taking up the way that repeating language that you guys have been working with. And I think it helps us recall that Unlike the way some of us might have encountered the Ten Commandments, for example, which were hard, fast rules, um, that these are the precepts, as I've come to sort of more deeply soak them in over the years, are more importantly and more fundamentally about ways in which choices we make in our words deeds actions separate us from others so these um precepts are sort of the guideposts that kind of or or maybe a guide wire that tells us oh if we're crossing this we might be um separating ourselves from others and so that's um that's a a really different way, the first time that I took the class that you guys are taking now. Um, I didn't understand in that way at all. I didn't I thought this these are these are do's and don'ts. And actually they're much more interesting than that. So I hope that that is coming across to you guys. and it will today for sure. Um, and so I first wanted to offer some alternative wording for these precepts because sometimes the way, that a particular teacher or translator um, highlights different aspects of the intent behind the precept, it sort of like sticks to us differently, right? And so um, as, as just to affirm, Diane Rosetto's is, a vow to take up the way of supporting all life. And so perhaps in this wording, there's the taking up, you know, which is sort of like putting on a backpack or, um, you know, picking up a seashell that speaks to us and its beauty. Um, Or maybe it's the alternate, being at the beach and picking up the trash. You know, so we're we're picking up something. And then the other wording that seems very particular in the way that she presents this precept is supporting all life, that we have, you know, we're sort of, um, you know, a supporting character in all life. Um, and it seems like right at the tail end of that poem, this kind of ties in with that, but I apologize, I didn't see, hear the whole poem. And so just kind of take a moment to, you've been reading this language, I vow to take up the way of supporting all life. And I tend to be very image oriented, obviously, just with the metaphors that I've offered, whatever is your way, um, kind of see if there's a way you can kind of put that one on a little shelf in your mind, that wording. What about it is particular or speaks to you? You might want to make a little note or draw a little picture to yourself. Before I offer three other wordings. And so the first is this. Even the sentence structure is very different. So, I think this sentence structure first is offering um, sort of a caution um, and then um, an inspiration. So um, each of the precepts, this teacher who I'll tell you in a minute, uses a language that sort of, um, you know, don't do this, and then an inspiration behind it. And so this is not to lead a harmful life, nor encourage others to do so not to lead a harmful life, nor encourage others to do so. And the inspiration is there is no separate self. There is no separate self. And so this one focuses on slightly different aspects and I would love to hear from you guys, but I'm gonna wait till the end of offering these three other versions. And so do kind of think about anything that's hitting you particularly. Um, And then just so that you have a sense of the rest of the time together, um, at two o'clock we'll break into small groups and I'll actually give you real life problems, Um, real situations um, that we find ourselves in, that have to do with this precept. And we'll get to work in small groups on um, your group will be assigned a topic. And we won't come up with answers. You know, it doesn't work like that. Oh, this is the right way. This is definitely the right way. In every situation, this is the right way. That won't happen. But we might come up with nuances of what it is to support all life or to not lead a harmful life, nor encourage others to do so, being inspired by the fact there is no separate self. The author of that version is Sherry Huber. So the second one I'll share, sort of cleanse your palate. (laughs) Again, a very different sentence structure, and this one is a bit longer, but just notice what comes forward that's different from what you've encountered before. Or what what comes forward that just touches you that um, like inspires meaning and even questions or action, either clarity or complete confusion, recognizing that I am not separate from all that is. This is the practice of non harming. I will not lead a harmful life, nor encourage others to do so and I will live in harmony with all life and the environment sustaining it. So again, recognizing that I'm not separate from all that is. This is the practice of non-harming. I will not lead a harmful life, nor encourage others to do so, and I will live in harmony with all life and the environment sustaining it. And so this one is from the Zen Peacemaker's Order. And if you're curious about what that is, you can um, Google it later. But um, it is a um, Western, um, I'll say branch group of um, Zen Buddhists, who in particular are focused on um, social justice. And it was uh, founded by Bernie Glassman, who is now deceased. And it The lineage um, continues at Upaya Zen Center in Santa Fe. So um, this one, I'll read it one more time because it's kind of long. And then we'll go on to the last one. Recognizing that I am not separate from all that is. This is the practice of non-harming. I will not lead a harmful life nor encourage others to do so. And I will live in harmony with all life and the environment sustaining it. And so finally, a third version. Very different, again, sentence structure and use of language. And bonus points for whoever guesses who this one is because it um, this teacher has a very simple and clear way of communicating. So here it goes, do not kill, do not let others kill. Find whatever means possible to protect life. Find whatever means possible to protect life and prevent war. Do not kill, do not let others kill. Find whatever means possible to protect life find whatever means possible to protect life and prevent war. Um, anyone want to venture a guess as to who that one was?
3: It sounds like Thich Nhat Hanh
1: to me.
2: That's right. <laughs> yeah, and so I think what's interesting about that is that, you know, we know from his life experience that he, he, he was, um, I was going to say a product of, but that's not even his life was so entwined with the war, uh, between the United States and Vietnam. And so that is so built into his version of the, the precept. So thank you, Susan. (laughs) I knew someone would get it. Um, so I'd like to open it up just for, hmm, maybe like a few minutes just to hear from you guys. What was it like to hear these different versions. Specifically, were there some that really spoke to you or helped you see things in a different way? Are there some you're resisting? Are there some that you're like, oh, I want that and you're super into it? Anything at all?
4: Yeah, Nelda, go ahead. So I remember Peg's words several years ago, I had, was recently couple three year converted to veganism. And yet I had from all my years past a closet full of leather jackets, leather coats, leather shoes, leather purses. And I was aghast about having all of this around me made from animals. And I didn't know what to do about it. If I gave it away, I was passing on the harm I had caused. If I just put in the trash can that I was being wasteful. And I I was just, I was just in a ball, you know, just all knotted up. And I went to Peg and I'm telling her this story and her first words, which I loved were, if you think you can get out of this life without doing harm, you are very naive. And I remember that. And like Joel said, one of the things she said to me was, the animals are dead. They've already died. So do what is comfortable for you to do until you can't do that anymore. If you can't wear those items anymore, if they're that repulsive to you, um, then find a way to to support life through those through those items. I was very helpful in walking this path because I have a hard time, Robin, with the fact that there we need to in the in the Zendo where I am now, you can't tell with the starf background, but <laughs> um, that we need to put out um, ant traps. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're overwhelmed with ants. So, And we have a pest guy come. Exactly. And for,
2: then outdoors, there are rat traps because if we don't do that, it's crazy land. Don't even ask.
4: So the, the way that this precept is fashioned to, in talking about supporting life all life for me is a much easier way to hold it than not killing particularly when when some people groups put um euthanasia, suicide and abortion into the killing box because I think that box that that's exactly what it becomes a box whereas, I think it's a bigger container when, the for me at least, when I hold the precept as supporting all life. And, and then we can be creative and expansive and and open-hearted with how we do that in a particular situation. So that's me. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.
1: So uh, I believe that Jay was the next person who had her hand raised. And I see Shelly Winton also has her hand raised.
5: Okay, cool, Jay, hey. Hi, guys. Okay. <laughs> um, The only thing that resonated with me was the opening line of the poem, that not all paths, uh, no paths go all the way. And that is, I fully agree, because honestly, it really bothers me when, <laughs> sorry, when it is said that, well, um, I vow to take no life, and so I'm gonna become a vegan, and plants are life. We are specious in thinking that. Oh well, plants don't feel pain. They do. If you speak to a plant with love, it flourishes. It blooms. It does a multiple of things, you know, and. There are many studies now that show you what happens when you bring a knife or a scissor to a plant. It literally shies away. It may not move as human beings, you know, as we species, species, you know, um, do, but they're still life. They breathe, you know, what we don't, you know, they breathe air. They're right. living things that
2: require food. So- so what you're pointing to is that there's it, it this, these precepts, I mean, you're pointing to it so beautifully that they're really about, they're not, a, they're not about um like, let's just figure out what's right and wrong. And let's figure out the right box to put things in. They're about enlivening relationship with life and the way that you're describing plant life, which I have a plant that's I've put in the corner, <laughs> He's not doing well. Um, Anyway, so I was uh, bad mouthing him yesterday. Um, But that, um, but it's that relationality. (laughs) Yeah. Having considered this precept, you're alive with connection to plant life and reminding us of how, you know, what you didn't even get to, but which you would have, which is that our whole like um, uh, the, the breathing, you know that that we that we yeah. need chance in order to have this cycle of respiration. Right. Um, so i think you're pointing to exactly what is really exciting about precepts. Is there okay. about where is this place? It's so easy to decide, okay, well i'm going to do this, i'm going to not do that. You know, like traffic laws. You're, you you right. you can either turn right on red or you can't. There's like no gray in there. Um though some of us may want to push it sometimes. But but with these precepts, it's real easy to think that there's a solution. Um, and, and this one especially is one that's like, oh yeah, there's no solution. But to be able to come into it in a place where we begin to see connection in life and it's not severing, severing our connection with life.
5: Thank you, Robin. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I'm gonna
2: I'm gonna talk nice to my plant and and take it yes. out of the corner. Um I mean- yeah, go ahead. <laughs> we have time for the two more of you that have your hands up, um, Shelley and then Denise, and then we'll go on to our activity.
6: Hi, Robin. I, um, I think that, that I really resonate with non-harming, and I work in, in healthcare, and I think sometimes accompanying someone in a good death is a much more non-harming place than prolonging a life that is you know at the at the end and um i i actually had the very deep um honor of uh accompanying my dad with his passing this this last april and it is such a special thing to be with through all the phases of life as we pass from one to another and I think sometimes when we talk about suicide and euthanasia and abortion we're not thinking of it broadly enough
2: yeah and it seems like you're pointing to sometimes the way to support all life the the easy kind of bypass would be all right well then life is it but the way to support all life is to support, in this case, your dad's life transitioning to the great unknown. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well,
6: and, and, and in many of those situations I, ha- I have in my work, right. it's it's really about accompanying what the person is imagining is the best outcome for them, which right. isn't always popular with everybody around.
2: Right. Right. I think because of a tendency for our brain and also separately our society to want to make things black or white so that it's really clear. And um, the precepts aren't about that. I can't speak to anything else, but the precepts aren't about making things black or white. And yeah, in your field, you really live there. Um, April is not that long ago. It's like six months ago. What was your dad's name?
6: Glenn.
2: Glenn. Oh, Thank you for sharing him with us a little bit.
3: And Denise? No problem. So the language of Tichnatan went right into me. I really appreciate his simple words and um, yeah, easy to get on different levels. And where I, I had a hook this evening was in the, um, there is no separate self. So I think it was my mind who was triggered and busy working regarding these precepts also. So would this mean if I kill somebody, then I would kill me too. And does it mean if I would kill myself, I would kill all the rest too. You know, what does it mean? And uh, I feel I am blessed to have had these moments in life where there was no distinction, but it was always moments where I didn't need to act. Mm -hmm. It was just a, a perception of a moment of oneness. But then in order to be able to act, I had to step out of it. So I wonder what you, uh, if you can say something about that.
2: Well, I think you're setting us up for our exercise really well, because we're, um, I'm going to give us situations or topics. And I think that will really be the practice is how do we, um, I mean, in answer to, um, I'm afraid we don't have time to get into the specifics of whatever situation you were thinking of, but thinking about the one about dying by suicide, um, I can speak to that one um, as probably many of you can, um, having lost people close to me to suicide. And um, what I can say is um, no, that person taking, um, dying by suicide, which is the preferred term as opposed to committing, which has some kind of idea of committing sin and Anyway, dying by suicide, um, that like any death, but a bit differently, it has an impact on the other people around that they have lost, you know? So if you go back to the idea of, um, if we go back with this pre- this precept in particular to the idea of um, severing connection, connectedness, um, then you can see how dying by suicide would do that beyond that actual life of that person um, dying by suicide um, in a way that's different than, um, you know, when someone dies from cancer or from old age or from um, a car accident or, even violence, each of those has a different flavor than from one another, but also from um, a suicide death or um, as as people are called, um, survivors of suicide. And so thinking about how I think what what comes to my mind is the image of um you know, when a drop of water um, falls in a in a quiet um, pond, how the rings go out. And for all of these precepts, not just this one, but it's, this one is really, um, I think she chooses to bring this one up towards the end of um, the book because it is just so sticky and juicy. Um, It is a challenging, challenging practice. And um, so I don't know if that addressed a little bit of what you're asking I, I know for sure I don't have answers. I have thoughts and reactions. Um, But um, to me also the one that touched my heart, going back to what you said at first, the one that sort of like oh. lodged itself in my heart when I was reading them aloud today was Thich Hans, And it was because he says so emphatically, he repeats it, find whatever means possible, that alone you know, that echoes, um, you know, civil rights language. It's like this, whatever means possible, like this is really important um, to protect life and prevent war. Of course, I immediately, I have, as human brains do, become completely non-interested in the war between um, the Russian invasion of um, Ukraine. But um, to replace it in my, urgency is, of course, um, what unfortunately is being called by the Israelis, uh, a war that has just started this weekend. Um, And so the idea that he's suggesting that we should find whatever means possible, possible to prevent life and prevent war, and considering how much energy has gone into trying to prevent that war and all the other versions of it prior... It's an enormous task. We're not going to complete it. And yet, ah, it just, um, it's so imperative. So I'm so glad that his voice is still so with us, even though his body is gone. Thank you for um, sharing, Denise. So let me introduce um, the topics um, that you're going to be assigned. And Nancy, um, I'm gonna paste, the instructions, the topics in the chat, and um, then if you can just um, repaste them once we go into small groups, but also if you're the kind of person that needs to make sure and um, get everything down, these are the topics. So there'll be four topics, your group will just have one of them. And um, so let me introduce them. Um, and then I'll give you specific instructions and we'll, um, um, okay, so the first one is, this is happening in Austin right now. So Austin is a no kill city for um, animals who are um, don't have um, human companions to care for them. And so recently in our city, um, there was a uh, audit done and um, Currently, it's been found that animals are living in unacceptable conditions um, because there is not space, or staff, or money, resources to care for them properly in the numbers that there are. So here's the dilemma: is it's a no-kill shelter, so yay, life, but then we're basically storing animals in crates. So that's the first question. Ah! I hope I don't get that one. Okay, the second one is the one that we've talked about that, you know, can someone following the precepts eat meat? And I may have phrased these questions in a very simplistic way. What I'm really curious for us to explore is not, okay, we say, yes in these situations, or no, for these reasons. What I'm interested in is us exploring what comes up when we consider eating meat, I eat meat. Um, Are there ways, you know, how do we do so consciously? Um, Is there a way to do it consciously? Um, What if our health, you know, so just, so all the nuances is where we're living. This is not a debate. Um, third one, this one just, I just live this one. Um, how can one consume fossil fuels, i.e. drive a car, fly in a plane, knowingly contributing to climate crisis? And then finally, um, euthanasia, which some people have pointed to. And because, um, you know, abortion, euthanasia, suicide, these are all painful, sticky, and then sometimes also politicized um, issues. So I chose the one that I felt like was, just felt most approachable to me in the moment, euthanasia. And But I went and made sure to put um, a definition. And so the, I don't know if it's probably not the medical definition, but the um, dictionary definition of euthanasia is, um, the painless killing of someone with an incurable disease. So those are the four questions, and you'll your group will get one of them. and here's your guidance. I would like you to first sit um, you'll be in your groups for fifteen minutes, fourteen minutes. and until 2.15 and first just sit for one minute and you can just count 10 breaths and it'll be a minute. And then speak to essence, whatever comes forward that you want to speak, be mindful of everyone in the group getting to speak and then actively listen. And then simultaneously notice what's happening in your body. Where is there tightness? Where is there heat? Uh, Where is there maybe boredom, withdrawal? Just noticing our body is the real, the real wise one here. The mind is kind of just, you know, the one that happens to be driving. So, um, those are the instructions. And I want to just get to it. Um, I'll repeat. Actually, I'll put the instructions in the chat as well. And those instructions won't follow you to your group. But I think that you've been probably engaging in these skills the whole time you've been in this class. So there. Um, And again, the bottom line is this isn't a debate. We're not going to have an answer. When we report back, I would most love to hear Things like, oh, when I thought about this one, my, my chest and my throat got really tight, or um, I felt such compassion listening to so-and-so tell about such and such, Um, just really the practice with the precept, not so much the intellectual sort of um, figuring it out. Let's go ahead and be sent off to groups. Thank you, Nancy. Then we have a brief few minutes for any thoughts. And again, um, not looking for debate answers. Um, all you high school debaters, just congratulations and thank you. Um, but sort of what you observed in your group, what surprised you? Um, um, I don't know anything you learned and you want to share, Francis. Um. Hi. <laughs> Well, I was at first we thought we had the animal one. And I thought, I don't want to talk about that. I don't even want to think about that. That was the one that touched my heart so totally. And then we realized that we didn't. So the others I had, you know, had an idea about them. Some it's probably more rationalization than. But that one. So anyway, that was what I noted about my feelings about that was that that was the one I, I didn't
6: want to I didn't want to bring it any closer
2: so yeah, we had euthanasia a, we had you know okay. that's a really good observation is and so those things that we are like oh that's too much I don't want to get I love how you mm-hmm. said that I didn't want to get any closer to that one mm-hmm. What. Is the invitation in this practice when that comes up? Get closer. (laughs) (laughs) Plus. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And do so. I know that. I don't (laughs) want to. (laughs) But maybe do so with a spiritual friend or do so with a spiritual teacher or do so with your journal just a little bit at a time and just, you know. Go to the animal shelter. Well, I mean, that, I know that that is. Well, I might uh, say, I might say do something smaller first. To be, yeah. yeah, take it. But I mean, wow, it sounds like you got a lot of juicy, ripe stuff there. And um, and I would just say, take care of ourselves because we're part of the ones we want to free, right? Mm-hmm. And um, start small, but maybe your later goal is, I wonder if this will lead me there. Just being open-ended. Thank you for sharing that. That to me is the most interesting thing. Is like, oh, I didn't want to do that one. Yes, yeah. that's practice. And then to keep little tiny. Thank well, you. it's the only one that wasn't about people, right? <laughs> <laughs> I deal with the people things. Mm, thank you. Um, Lisa?
6: Oh, actually, um,
7: I'm looking at the four. I actually got one that you know i like oh shoot can you hear me mm-hmm. you can hear me. okay nancy thanks so i actually got one that um yeah i would have wanted to talk about and the reason is that um <laughs> i have such strong feelings about it it's the um no kill animal shelter I have strong feelings about other things now also, but the no-kill animal shelters, I have enough background information that um, it's like, I feel like some of my ideas might be more valid or not. The thing about what came up, and I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted by stuff. Okay. This is what I love. David White's poem. It's no path goes all the way that is such a lifesaver for me could you say that again no path there's no path goes all the way right you no. know over the oh, year right. I don't remember the whole poem but it's always no path goes all the way because it relieves me and that tells you right there I feel a burden right I feel an onus or ah you know, I should know what to do. But then I go back with no kill shelter with any of those questions. No path goes all the way. You know, we can inquire, we can process with each other. You know, we can give our condition family experiences, which a couple of us did. Um we can give our personal experiences, but still there's not always The ethical perfect answer. There's only no path can go all the way. All we can do is the best we can with the information we have right at this moment, which could change. You know, it's not permanent. So that makes it harder in a way, but it makes it easier in another way because no matter what we do, if we, and I see I'm kind of directed, so I'm feeling it's like, oh, I need to make it a decision. Well, none of it's gonna be perfect. It's always gonna be imperfect and there's always gonna be more, more events coming in, more shifting. And I think that's true for every one of these questions.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Lisa, and I think you know, our practices, what do we do in the face of all that change, uncertainty, and the fact that the path, you know, will get us only partway, and then, then there'll be a new, you know, sort of fork in the road. Thank you. Marla? Marla. Yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> um, it occurred to me, just as we started today, why this particular precept feels so different to me. Um, the my experience of the other precepts is that there is an invitation to examine our intent. And um, you know how how we want to interpret them and translate them into our lives. This one feels very directive absolutely life versus death, which is very dualistic. There's no invitation to really um, to differentiate shades of gray and um questions of degree and what what happens to me is that i start to start to try to parse okay Mm. what about quality of life what about self-determination what about all those different aspects of life that aren't captured in this and that's where my discomfort and the edge comes for me yeah Mm.
2: well put well put um, that would have to be a really long precept, right? Um, okay, so don't kill, but know that actually you're going to be killing things all along, but also don't kill. And yeah, I, ooh, yeah, I feel you, for sure. I think we have time for like one or two more people.
8: Well, uh, <laughs> that what Marla said um, reminded me of... Um, uh, <laughs> In one of Tignan books, he calls like like your birthday kind of, he kind of says like happy continuation day. Because uh, he's kind of, you know, he's saying like life and death, like this, like the polarization of it. It's not really such like, you know, like, like form changes and all that, and energy isn't created or destroyed and it's just moving. And um, so then, but then he also says, do not kill, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. all right. Um, the youth, we have the euthanasia one in my group. And um, so I think with those two ideas, like kind of how life continues in different forms, and the sort of like kill, do not kill sort of thing, there's, there's a lot of room, I think, there for um, conversation. So, yeah,
2: thank you. Um, Jay's next and then I want to hear from someone who um, was in the climate group Um, and so I'm assuming Jay wasn't but maybe maybe you were go ahead Jay and then one of your climate group people are going to have to step up because I really care about what your conversation (laughs) was and what came up because I'm practicing with that one not that I'm not practicing with all of them Jay
5: yeah no I just wanted to make a quick comment about what this one brought up to me this issue of guilt because you know uh, you cannot um, (laughs) not kill and um, memories of Catholicism which I turned away from you know thou shall not kill and like Mala says you know everything you said Mala resonated with me you know and my belief in how I can move through this world responsibly as a person without you know having this directive of Thou shalt not kill, kill nothing. And we were created, you know, we live in a world where animals have to take life. We are animal, we need to take life in order to survive. So how do I live and not kill at the same time? So, yes. Thank you.
2: Hmm. So was there a climate group?
9: Uh, I I was part of that. Um, uh, It's difficult, because we're all a bit different. See, I, I, I don't own a car and I've never learned to drive. So but when my dad died, I had to catch a ferry which uses fossil fuels and then I caught a train and then and then I caught a coach and and then I was in a car with people at the funeral, you know, when I was being driven back. So so it's a little bit different for me. But I, I try not to judge anyone or anything. Um but yeah and um, it, um uh, serenity she she lives in a van so it was a different different sort of thing for her. Um, and uh, Nelly doesn't own a car either but she she flies quite a bit or, or she has flied quite a bit so there's always different things and um I guess there's no like right or wrong way of, you just have to do the best you can with what you've got. You see, you've got to make a choice and then you've got, you know, make a choice to come from the heart and feel what will do the least harm. But you see, if I hadn't gone to my dad's funeral, if I said, oh, I won't catch ferries or I won't catch a coach because I don't want to use fossil fuel, then I wouldn't have been there for my sister when she, she needed somebody there. Um, so it, it it's, it's hard to know what, what the right thing to do is sometimes. And, you have to fully your heart and feel what, what heart feels right that's my thoughts
2: mm. yeah yeah um i think that's it exactly is that this precept to me is so much about we're going to make a decision about all of these issues and myriad others and let's not do it lightly and let's maybe even talk about it and um, not act as if it doesn't matter, that our words and deeds and actions matter. And we still might take them, but we might just carry it in a different way than just not thinking about it. So I think that's the point of this precept, especially. Um, and also I was gonna, um, someone chatted me a question and I just wanted to, I wasn't trying to, um, I think for me yesterday when I got up, I was referencing the the war in um, Israel and um, Gaza. And uh, I think I'm still, um, I got up yesterday morning and looked at my New York Times on my little phone and it just it just broke my heart. Um, and I think I'm still, um, you know, processing that, you know, for a war to break out overnight over this weekend, um, is just so painful, so painful. And so I think that's just me real life, um, working with that precept, working with just care. I don't have a lot of knowledge or, um, personal connection to that place, but, um, for, for war to just have broken out in the time that I was sleeping is is just heartbreaking. Um, So we are at time. Thank you so much for your practice. Thank you for Thank you. carving out time on a beautiful autumn day to think about really hard, completely unanswerable questions and doing it with such kindness and um, awareness and connection with others. I appreciate you.
5: Thank you, Robin.
2: Thank you. Thank I'll you, see you guys in the Zooms or in the in the Zendo. Uh-huh. Thank,
1: you, Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. The, our next uh, precept is to not disparage the triple treasures, and you may notice there's no chapter on that in Diane Rosetto's book. So uh, this week I will be sending out materials to to. Uh, guide us on that as well for, for our discussion. And we will also have a, a guest presenter uh, for our next meeting, which is on the, I think, the, the 5th of November, as I recall. Uh, it's, it's early in November, at any rate. Um, uh, and the, the guest speaker will be John Cooley, who's a, a longtime member of the Appamato community. Uh, he studied at uh, Green Gulch. And San Francisco Zen Center for a number of years, and then and then was teaching in Minneapolis, and now he's back in Austin and is uh, teaching at a at a elementary school in Austin, and um, he has some great things he will share with us. Any questions for me? Right now, I'm so grateful to you for for joining in today, and thank you for all you shared, uh, and and I look forward to working with you soon. Bye.